Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14 Of course I chose a Christmas verse from the Old Testament. I love prophecy. And in one of my Bible notes, I read that for every prophecy of Jesus' first coming, there are seven dealing with his second. Today, we're remembering his first coming. And as we pray and worship and study the word, We can equip ourselves to be instruments in someone's life so that he or she may experience Jesus for the first time. Today, Isaiah wrote this prophecy 675 years before the coming of Christ. The word Emmanuel means God is with us, and he is. The gift we received from our father was his son, Jesus, who took our sins upon himself and died so we may live. For now... He is a baby in a manger. We have the candles and the carols, the fellowship and the readings to sustain us. Added to the real reason for the season, which is sadly being reduced to the holidays with no mention of Christ, we can fellowship with family and friends and remember the most incredible gift of all, salvation. So as we take a sip of eggnog or hot chocolate and look at our Advent wreath resplendent with its four-lit candles, our sparkling tree adorned with chocolates and lights, we're reminded that Jesus is the light of the world. As we meditate on the creche and the baby Jesus in place and search for the wise men traveling through our houses, we're reminded that this child came to save all of mankind. And as we listen to the music reminding us of who is Lord, we can share our good news with those around us through our actions and our witness to the greatest gift on earth. Keep Christ in your holiday and rest in your gift of salvation this Christmas. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McMenny. This week, with Christmas just around the corner, I enlisted a few of my friends who have been guests on my show to speak about what Christmas means to them. Robert Vallade, Gretchen Rowe, Sandy Fowler and Danielle Evans will be joining me throughout the hour to add their thoughts about this holy day. And before we do that, I have to natter on about this year's celebrations for us and some of the changes we're having to make with only one child in the house. Plus, I'm going to be playing you some of my favourite carols, just to get us in the mood. It's crisp and cold outside and I'm shamelessly drinking hot chocolate and eating one of my homemade mince pies. So let's get started. If you remember, last year my blue-eyed cowboy and I were in merry old England, far away from our children. We changed the rhythm of gift-giving and altered the expectations of a secular Christmas the year before, since we had children who were working and living in their own flats, and they had their own jobs and really lacked for nothing, living in this age of instant gratification. Save? What for? I have the money now. We sent them wishes across the pond, a gift certificate and a handmade card. Over Skype, we shared some Advent moments and talked about the Christmas message delivered from the pulpit at various Texas churches. Our youngest, who was in merry old with us, left a few days later to spend New Year and her birthday back home, and we were able to immerse ourselves in the pantomime, which rescued us from dwelling on our aloneness for too long. We dug out my parents' tree and decorations, which brought memories flooding back for me. They'd always had a small house, something to do with the upkeep, and the tree was a tabletop one with decorations that were old, some of which looked handmade, and I remembered them all. The creche my father had made, I hadn't seen for over 20 years, and my brother bagged it as soon as he came over on Christmas evening, so we didn't bring it home with us. Odd to think how I may have felt all those years ago had I known, when I last saw Christmas in all its glory in my parents' house, the circumstances under which I would be seeing it again. Blue-eyed Dorts and I had decided to have our turkey dinner on Christmas Eve. 
just the three of us, and stay up for midnight mass and carols at our church. In the morning, we enjoyed a lazy time with a light brunch, saving ourselves for the onslaught of food brought on by the arrival of my brother and his sons, who had spent the day with their mother feasting and opening gifts. I'd laid the table for old-fashioned Arbenbrot, a throwback from our German days, which literally means evening bread. The spread was fantastic, and we had Christmas pudding and brandy butter, the only thing I made from scratch. The shelves at Sainsbury's groan with confection associated with Christmas, and so we had tins of sweets and biscuits enough to feed all the residents in our block of flats. We gave the boys large stockings to open, played games, listened to Nat King Cole, and had a thoroughly good time. Our crowd in Dallas were having lunch at the same time, so the Skype was passed around via iPhone, and we spoke to our sons and then our school teacher daughter in Corpus, who was having lunch with one of her friends and their crowd. Well, enough of last year. Let's go to my first contributor this week, Robert Velardi, who joined me twice last year, the first time on February the 4th, and then again on Good Friday, April the 6th. He's the author of The Wisdom of Pixar, Conversations with C.S. Lewis and The Heart of Narnia and writes curriculum with Sarita Holtzman, the founder of Sunlight Curriculum. Robert and his wife homeschool their children, and he participates in their school life by focusing on the moving and performing arts portion of their schoolwork, sharing with them an unbounded enthusiasm for all films Pixar. Robert is also a philosopher, so let's listen to what he has to say about the meaning of Christmas. Hello, this is Robert Velarde with Sunlight Curriculum author of The Wisdom of Pixar, Conversations with C.S. Lewis, and other books. I'd like to share four aspects of Christmas that are meaningful to me. The doctrine of the incarnation, Christmas in relation to family, the importance of avoiding the pitfalls of the season, and some devotional and spiritual implications. First, as a philosopher, theologian, and educator, when I think of Christmas, I think of the deep and rich teachings behind the doctrine of the Incarnation, which is most clearly and simply presented in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, with the Word referring to Christ. I like the way the message paraphrase puts it, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In the Greek, the word translated as dwelt in many English Bibles, means to pitch a tent among or to tabernacle, a suggestion of the portable Old Testament place of worship. God the Son literally came into this world, pitched his tent among us, moved into the neighborhood. If we take a moment to consider this amazing reality, it provides us with wonderful insights about God and his nature. He truly cares for us and reaches out to us. The doctrine of the Incarnation is of critical importance to Christianity. In his book Miracles, C.S. Lewis called it the central miracle asserted by Christians, adding, if, this, if the thing happened, it was the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing that the whole story has been about. To be sure, the resurrection of Christ is also significant to Christianity, but we must remember that without the coming of Christ, we would, have no, we would have no rising of Christ. Second, Christmas is a time for me to consider my role as a father. One tradition we have as a family is to celebrate Advent, counting down to the commemoration of the first coming of Christ. Every Sunday we gather together and read various Bible passages about the first coming of Christ, prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. I also like to emphasize the historical reality of the story of Jesus. It is a story, and a powerful one, but it's also historical fact. One need only read the opening sections of the Gospel of Luke to see that the story of the birth of Christ is set among historical figures and real places. Luke, in particular, is meticulous and methodical in his approach to Christianity as a historical reality, while the Apostle John clearly wished to emphasize the importance of eyewitness accounts of Christ as a real flesh-and-blood historical reality, as expressed, for example, in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, 
the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Third, Jesus in our day presents us with many potential pitfalls. It's far too easy to get caught up in wrong and twisted versions of what Christmas is all about. One need only watch a handful of contemporary Christmas movies to see that Christ is missing. Replaced by a desire for happiness and joy without a meaningful foundation, or worse, replaced by a desire for wealth and the accumulation of possessions. Tucked away in the book God in the Dock is a powerful little essay by C.S. Lewis called What Christmas Means to Me. In it, Lewis expresses his displeasures with the terms commercial racket of Christmas. We must be careful not to fall into this trap. In a personal letter, Lewis recounted how modern people misunderstand Christmas to the point of forgetting its real meaning. In December 1958, he wrote to a friend, My brother heard a woman on a bus say, as the bus passed a church with a crib outside it, Oh Lord, they bring religion into everything. Look, they're dragging it even into Christmas now. Let us not forget the truth that Christmas is really about. Fourth, we must overlook the devotional and spiritual aspects the Christmas season offers. In our day and age, it's so easy in the busyness of Christmas, preparations, decorating, buying gifts, sometimes becoming stressed by the pressures of the holidays that we miss out on its greater truths. During this often frantic time of the year, I encourage you to take time for silence, time to slow down and quietly ponder the deeper meaning of Christmas. In Matthew 11.30, Jesus calls us to find rest for our souls. Take time this Christmas season to seek rest and peace and joy. Remember the Incarnation. God literally came into history, pitched his tent among us, and moved into the neighborhood. As theologians Gordon Lewis and Bruce Demarest put it, toward with the redemptive plan, the Father sent his unique Son into the world to do for the lost what they could not do for themselves. We can't redeem ourselves, but fortunately we don't have to. And reaches out to us in love. This is Robert Velarde with A Merry Christmas. So there we have it, the real meaning of Christmas. I laughed when he told C.S. Lewis's story of the lady on the bus commenting to no one in particular on seeing a manger scene outside a church. Look at that. They're even dragging religion into Christmas. That was in the 1950s. So before you lament the times, the times are with us in every generation. Well, I've looked at Christmas for us last year. Let's see what it holds in store for us this year. It's going to be different yet again, but I'm determined to get out of my rut, so no complaining. We had years and years of routine and tradition, and I'm certain that once we settle down to our empty nest lives, we'll have years and years to come. But perhaps not. I seem to remember having the same thoughts halfway through homeschooling when our oldest son was taking classes at college and things got thrown off kilter and I kept promising the scheduler in me that my routine would soon be restored. It wasn't, at least not exactly the same routine. So let's go on a quick little break and I'll be back in just a moment with more. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere 
to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back, and one of the ruts I'd been valiantly trying to escape for years was the materialism trap of Christmas. This may sound bar humbug, And had I been told I'd be considering changing one of the mainstays of the Christmas season for our family for many generations when we were in the midst of piling gifts under the tree for yet another year, I would have laughed out loud and joined Charles Dickens in his fight for Christmas in all its secularism. But it's not just today that religion is omitted at Christmas. C.S. Lewis traces it back to Charles Dickens' beloved short story, A Christmas Carol, in which Lewis notes in his essay Decline of Religion, a marked absence of any interest in the Incarnation, Mary, the Magi and the Angels, who are replaced by spirits of Dickens' own invention. The animals present are not the ox and the ass in the stable, but the goose and the turkey in the poulterer's shop. Poor Dickens does come under fire with these theologians. G.K. Chesterton in Dickens and Christmas comments that Dickens is a bustling 19th century man who was ardent about defending the mince pies and mummeries of Christmas. What Dickens defends is not what Christians celebrate at Christmas, but he does defend the way in which Christian society has historically celebrated. And that in itself, Chesterton argues, is a worthy thing asserting that in fighting for Christmas, Dickens was fighting for the old European festival, Christmas being one of numberless old European feasts, of which the essence is the combination of religion with merrymaking. Yet the merriment of Christmas goes beyond that of other Christian festivals. The hymns of Easter are joyful, but are more often stately and nuanced than the carols of Christmas, which tend to be boisterous and emotionally uncomplicated. Even the traditional English greeting, Merry Christmas, expresses this uniquely jolly Christmas spirit. Note the specificity of this word, Merry, to this particular holiday. Nobody says Merry Easter, or Merry Birthday, or Merry Thanksgiving, or Merry anything else. Christmas is uniquely a festival of merrymaking, of mirthful joy and celebration. So Dickens and his Christmas Carol and the realisation that this wonder and confusion over the combination of religion with merrymaking is nothing new in the minds of Christians. I really have a hard time touring the malls and shops looking for lame excuses to spend my money on something worthless for people who have everything, knowing it'll probably end up on a top shelf or tucked away and forgotten at the back of the kitchen cupboard. I do enjoy buying gifts, though, don't get me wrong. I love birthdays and weddings and anniversaries and other personal special occasions, just in case you're beginning to think I'm a total cheapskate and utter killjoy. To keep the spirit of giving at Christmas, some families decide to cut out the middleman and make their own gifts, which is a commendable idea. But as I pop to the store during November and December, I can't get away from this orgy of gift giving and spending. The reluctant debt many of us fall into at this time of year does us no good at all and only points out more clearly how we're slaves to our culture. Businesses are telling us what to do, who to buy for and proclaiming this slogan, the more you spend, the more you save. Wow, what does that say about our nation? When I decided things had to change, I'd already had it halfway easy because since moving to America, I never bought presents for my family back on the other side of the pond. I wasn't one to parcel up gifts and spend even more money on postage. My family believed in writing checks, which was fine with me, and I saved every penny for a rainy day. Finally, this year, I'm proud to say my gentleman and I have drawn a line in the sand and said, enough's enough. Yes, my children are older and understand, but explain to me why we didn't do this sooner when the children were younger and had nothing to understand. We're not buying gifts this year. We're not making gifts either. This year will be a high holy day 
with a wonderful gathering at the end of it for turkey or not. And we'll enjoy movies, games and conversation. Some of my children will go back to work the following day while I prepare to host my traditional Boxing Day party for all our theatre friends. And with this decision comes a tremendous feeling of relief, a burden lifted, a lightness of spirit. Now I can admire all the lovely decorations and displays that spell the trappings of Christmas and imagine them in my house just for a few moments without thinking, perhaps that's a good idea for Aunt Mabel's house. I don't have to buy anything like that if I don't really want to. No pressure. I'm not looking at goods in shops through the eyes of a buyer, not even a buyer for me, through the eyes of a buyer for others. I'm looking at them just for fun. It's completely freeing. My next contributor is a good friend of mine who's been on my show countless times since I first started three years ago. Most recently, she came on last year. We talked about Epiphany. And on April the 13th, also in 2012, she came on and we talked about unemployment. Gretchen Rowe is community liaison for Calvert School and a homeschooling mother of six. Over the years, we've discovered many similarities in our lives, apart from homeschooling, including the unemployment, a king's cake, and the same book read out loud during Advent to our children. Gretchen uses the Calvert curriculum, of course, and still has a couple of her children that she homeschools at home. So let's go to her reflection and find out what Christmas means to her. Good morning, Vivian. It's wonderful to talk to you again. This is Gretchen Rowe, and I just wanted to share my most special Christmas memory with you. And that is the year that we told my five children that they were going to anticipate their younger brother. Um, my husband and I were a little bit long in the tooth, so to speak. We had thought we were done having children. Our youngest at that point was six years old. And we uh, really felt that uh, Christmas blessings being what they were, we have done many things as a family. And every year as a family, we have sponsored a family and um, to teach our children not only the gift of giving themselves away, but to teach them the joy of um, being there for other people. So we have created a budget. We have divided that budget up amongst the children and the children have been required to shop for others. And so that has been a very special part of our Christmas celebrations. Well, this one year now, uh, eight years ago, my family sat down and divvied up their budgets. And we told them at the conclusion of their shopping, we would have something special for them to do. So we shopped for a family that also had at that time six children. And one of my children said to me, how is it that I have to shop for two children. This was my eldest child. And I said, don't worry, we're just going to walk through the process and, and I'll help you and we'll, we'll make it happen. So they budgeted their money and they shopped and we wrapped presents. And there were many discussions about what it was like to have six, six children. We only had five. And so Christmas morning we sat down and I said, do you all remember when we talked about having six children in a family and they all kind of looked at each other? And I said, what did you think about that? And they all laughed a little bit and um, had reminiscences of the shopping expeditions and the buying and how that felt. And then we moved on with our Christmas Day. Well, our tradition is the very last thing we do on Christmas Day is to open stockings. And so when my children opened their stockings, at the bottom of their stockings, each one of them found an envelope. And when they opened up their envelope, there were pieces in it that looked like a puzzle. And it was their requirement to collaborate and work together and put that puzzle together. And in the putting together of the puzzle, there was a drawing of all of our family. And then I had added a sixth child to the drawing. And my daughter, who is now 20, said, uh, first of all, my eldest son said, what does this mean? And <laughs> my 13-year-old daughter at the time said, uh, duh, it means... Uh, that we're going to have another baby. And they laughed and um, were very excited. Each one of them related very differently to the process of the arrival, the impending arrival of their little brother. 
And uh, it was very, very cute. My eldest son was just absolutely mortified that he, as a 15-year-old boy, was going to be a older brother again. Uh, my eldest daughter thought it was a particular gift to her. Um, she was uh, 18 at the time and was very excited about it. And then the younger siblings, all the way down to my six-year-old son, thought it was just really a very neat thing. That Christmas gift is now seven, and he's adorable. Um, he's a handful. He is for every sin I've ever committed. He is just the busiest thing on two feet. But it was the most joyful Christmas blessing we remember, it, and it was a wonderful and cogent way to make Christmas real, to be able to experience it from the perspective of outside yourself and giving to someone else and then bringing that giving straight home. So I wish you all many joyful Christmas blessings, and it's my great pleasure to be honored enough to share this time and this precious memory with you, Vivian, and I thank you. And thanks so much for letting me participate. That was a unique Christmas memory, wasn't it? Do you have a story that will always say Christmas? I suppose my Christmas will always revolve around smells, not so much from my childhood, but very definitely from my children's childhoods. I think the smell of baking, sugar and all things nice will always conjure up this time of year for me. Clever the person who captured that evocative smell in a candle. I have one burning right now. It's called Orange Buttercream Cupcake. The creators were quite explicit in their naming of this particular sensation. Music is evocative too. My sons sang in the Texas Boys Choir, so every time I hear them sing, I'm whisked to the lighting of one of the huge trees at a mall here in Dallas. That became part of our Christmas lead-up for the years my boys still had their angelic soprano voices. They did grow weary of decking the halls and were quite happy when the rounds of appearances ceased. Luckily, uh, we have them on CD, and I'm going to play you just a little bit of Silent Night. lovely. It seems hard to imagine that my boys who are grown now ever had voices like that. My next contributor is Sandy Fowler, who first came on my show on November the 26, 2010, and unwittingly started her new career in radio. She's the host of Heartfield Holidays, also here on Toginet Radio on Mondays at one o'clock central. Sandy is a wife, mum, and business owner and the creator of the Heartfield Holidays Project. She's moved from stress to blessed in her festivities and in her life, and each week she shares her secrets with you on her program. Today she's going to be sharing some of her secrets, but first, since I can't bring you the lovely smell of my candle, I'm just going to give you a quick break, and I will be back in just a moment, so go get yourself some other cup of tea. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. 
the author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, solving the connections of autoimmune disease to thyroid problems, fibromyalgia, depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Togginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Hi, this is Sandy Fowler, and... I'm the host of Heartfilled Holidays Radio Show and the author of Beyond Eggnog and Mistletoe, Creating a Stress-Free Holiday Season You'll Love. I am so excited to be here with you today during this wonderful Christmas season. And Vivian, thank you so much for having me back on the show. I had so much fun chatting with you on last year's Christmas show and back when I first started Heartfilled Holidays. Um, you actually had me on the show eons ago, so it was tons of fun then and I'm really excited to be here again because for me it's always such a joy to be back with the homeschooling community. I miss the days when we did that in our household. It was some of my favorite time with my family. But as I was reflecting on the holiday season and what would be fun to talk about today, I was thinking about the best times. You know what I'm talking about? Those special moments, the ones that kind of like take our breath away or warm our hearts, the things that live in our minds year after year. We pull those memories up. We think about them throughout the year. We'll think back on them. And I think those are the moments that we're all looking for, those cherished memories that we want to experience over and over again. And I started thinking about how we can get those moments, how we can create them. And what I realized is that we can't. We can't just snap our fingers and say, right here, right now, I'm going to have a fabulous moment and then just know it will happen. I mean, life just doesn't work that way. We cannot orchestrate it down to the last detail like that. Try as we might. I know, especially as homeschoolers, we juggle and we maneuver and we get all kinds of amazing things to happen. But we just can't force those moments. We don't have that much control over other people or over situations. But we do have control over ourselves. And what we can do is we can set the stage to allow those moments to happen. We can encourage them in our thoughts and in our attitudes and in our actions. And personally, I learned these lessons about this idea the hard way. I have always loved Christmas. When we were growing up, we had a fabulous Christmas, and it was very full, very busy, very beautiful. My mom did an amazing job. When I got married, I found out just how much work she had done because now it was suddenly my job to create that amazing Christmas. And not only that, I needed to combine it with my husband's amazing Christmas and all of their traditions and try to figure out how to fit everything in. And that's what I did the first couple of years. I tried to do everything. I tried to fit everything in and just ended up being really stressed out unhappy, crabby, yelling at my poor husband, if you've listened to my other shows, or I believe even Vivian, I think I mentioned it on one of the shows that I did with you about my little screaming at my husband, an embarrassing moment in my life. But it was an impetus to make me rethink the way I was living my holidays. So for the next few years, I used all my powers of organization, every time management technique I knew to get everything done, to create that magical moment and to create those memories that we all want, you know, to to get this perfect Christmas day or for our case, in our case, a few days or a week to get that all set up and going. And I did it. I, I got it all done. I got it set up, it was under control, and then the kids came along. And suddenly the meaning of the season became more important, or more important to me, 
at least. You know, the gifts, the shopping, the wrapping, the giving, the getting, that all seemed kind of out of control. And so I talked with my husband and we decided to make one simple change to our Christmas celebrations. And we decided to make our gifts, not for everybody, just the four of us. Him and me and our two girls, we would each make a gift for each other, make something or do something for somebody. And I don't have time today to go into the whole story about that, although it's a lot of fun. But the point was that that one decision opened up a whole new world. And it started with the unexpected blessings that came along. And there were a few different areas. One was the blessing of time. You know, the season is busy and it's crazy, and deciding to make gifts seems like it would just take more time. But what happened was I got to spend more time with my girls, doing things, talking to them about what they would make and how they would make it, coming up with ideas, buying the supplies, helping them create it. So I got that extra time with them, and they got time with their dad because they had to make things for me, and they needed help doing that. And so those were really precious moments. And then something I didn't expect was that suddenly my girls loved giving more than getting. Come Christmas morning, they wanted to watch other people open the gifts they had made for them more than they wanted to open their own. And that's carried through even into their teenage years. And that's quite a feat to have teenagers who are more interested in what other people are getting than them. We got the unexpected blessing of thoughtfulness. They are much more attentive to other people and their wants and their needs and their desires because the way we go about making gifts is watching people and going, what do they need? What would they like? What could they use? What would make their life better? What are they missing? And so we really pay attention to people and they start thinking about others more. We got the unexpected blessing of the warmth of memories and the blessing of heirlooms. And those two go a little bit hand in hand in that we have these gifts we've made for each other. They're around our house. They're things we wear and things we use and things that are part of our everyday life. Now, some of those things will get used up and worn out. That's great. We still have the memories from those. And other things we have are things that will be around, things that can be passed on or just that we enjoy year after year. There are things like game boards and photo albums, scrapbooks, vases, Christmas ornaments. Um, I made a big wooden growth chart. And there are just lots of other items that we really cherish, that we'll keep and we'll love and we'll be able to pass on. And so every time we see those things, we get that warmth of the memories, not only of the person, but of the making of them and how happy they were when we opened it. And it's these unexpected blessings that really changed our holiday season. And I've been talking about how that came about for us, you know, with these homemade gifts, but it wasn't just making the gifts that changed our Christmas season. So I know a lot of people will talk to me, they'll go, oh, but I can't make gifts. Fine, don't. But... What you can do is you can still get what we got from the season because it wasn't the making of the gifts that changed it. You know, we could have made gifts for each other and still been tired and stressed out and crabby and completely missed the meaning of the season. But what happened was that when we decided to make gifts, everything shifted. Our focus, our priorities, our time We cleared the clutter out of our season to make room for this thing that we were excited about that was important to us. And so we focused on each other, on enjoying the process of making them, on being present in the moment. I didn't just tell my girls to draw a picture for the dad and, you know, hand them a box of crayons, go, here, dad would just love a picture from you. No, we talked about what they could do. And I guess I'd say we researched ideas from looking, just looking at things when we were in a store, uh, picking up craft books in the library, looking at items in other people's houses, all kinds of things we did that we just would pay attention to stuff and we'd spend time talking about it and thinking and then creating these gifts. And I made sure I was present in each of those moments. I allowed myself to say no to other things to create space for this new priority. And you can do the same thing. You just choose your own priority and then make space for it. You don't have to make your gifts to get what we got out of the season. Just design the season that's a fit for you. 
In fact, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm the author of Beyond Eggnog and Mistletoe, and that's what I teach in there. You know, we walk through the process of figuring out what you want from your season and then go through the steps for getting it. The path is different for everyone, but the tools you can use to find it and to walk it are the same. So if you're looking for more from your holidays, I encourage you to try some things. Do something different. Just pick one thing and go with it. But start by making space in your life for what's really important for you and by being present in every moment. And if you want a little help, then I would be thrilled if you would pop on over to heartfilledholidays.com. There's a free gift there. It's a short audio introducing you to a few of the topics that I cover in the book. And they can kickstart you on creating a season that works for you. And of course, if you want to just dive in and go for it, grab a copy of the book. It'll cover those topics completely, plus it'll give you the activities to help you get just what you're looking for. And it's only going to be available for a couple more weeks. In early January, I'm pulling it from the market. So even though it's late in the season for this year, you can get some some tips to help you out now, and you'll have that as a resource for next year. There's a link right on the heartfilledholidays.com webpage where you can get the gift as well as a link for the book. But in the meantime, my Christmas wish for you is that you find true peace and real joy. So this is Sandy Fowler, and I wish you happy holidays and happy everydays. Check out Sandy's website, www.heartfilledholidays.com. And take advantage of her offer of a free gift to kickstart you into de-stressing your Christmas and moving beyond eggnog and mistletoe. To continue with this year's Christmas plans, my southern gentleman and I aren't attending a regular church at the moment. We found ourselves attending many churches within Texas and have been so busy traversing the state that settling back into one church has eluded us for the moment. I'm sure all that will change in the new year as we seriously start planning the wedding, but until then we're floating and hearing many beautiful messages from many wonderful priests. Of course, we put money in the offering plate whenever it comes around during the services, but because we aren't tithing per se, we begin to look into supporting a worthy cause or two instead. One of them came about when I interviewed a young lady who's been married 12 years and has four children. She homeschools and supports her husband, who is attending his final years at seminary in Canada. They are following God's call to be missionaries and, in faith, sold everything they had to move from Georgia to Canada, where a fully furnished house became available for her family, while the owners were spending a year in Africa doing missionary work themselves. She thinks of herself as one of the birds of the air that Jesus talks about, who are clothed and fed without having to fret about where the next meal is coming from and how to keep warm. This faith story impressed me, and I thought about what I was like at that age. Really, with stories like Jessica Bowman's, one's faith in the human race, especially our faith in our children, who are the world's future, is restored. When I buy something for her from the Amazon wish list she reluctantly posted for dry goods and staples, I can follow her on Facebook to get her reactions to parcels received. I can read her blogs to find out how she's faring. And recently, by popular demand, she added a Christmas wish list with non-food items on it. Things like a replacement bowl for her food processor, which she uses every day, shoes for her children, a book or two, essentials for the well-being of a growing family. If you feel like it, pop over to her website at bohemianbowmans.com and check out her Amazon lists. Uh, anything will be appreciated in the sharing of this worthwhile cause with my cowboy. He told me of a worthwhile cause of his very own. Typically, it is a much larger worthwhile cause than mine, but who's measuring? And it's break time again. And after this one, I'll tell you about the main charity we're rooting for next year and how we hope to change some lives for the better through something we all take for granted in the West and waste a lot of. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. 
The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out GirlfriendIt.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. When we finally informed those nearest and dearest to us that this year we were going to be spending our money in a different direction, we surprisingly got a similar reaction. It helps that our family are also followers of the Lord. I'd heard more and more that families were getting together to donate to charities instead of buying gifts, and I thought, either this is completely new thinking or, as I now know, it's been going on all around me for years and years and I just haven't stopped long enough to really find out about the whys and wherefores or to even notice. Probably my extended family had been doing this for longer than it took me to open my eyes to, But the differences when we called about our idea were, one, we shared it, and two, we said we were going to be giving elsewhere instead of buying each other gifts and asked them to please not to buy us anything. Now we've set the ball rolling, they may choose to include the word instead too. Of course, since a couple of our family members aren't geographically close enough to us to experience the warm and fuzzy fellowship of of a traditional Christmas with real live relatives we're still going to celebrate with them in a special way and brighten their day just a little. In Lindale, where Grandmama lives, we will visit the weekend before. That is, as long as she's not working, which she is on Christmas Eve until 8.30 at night. Come on, people. She's already given us her large white Christmas tree, which reminds us of all the Christmases we've spent together. She's used her tabletop tree instead of the great big one and says how she doesn't want to give up Christmas completely. She does love giving gifts. So we, the adults, will go and make a day of it and cook her turkey and dressing and all the fixings, if that's what she so desires. Then we'll call her on the day, and I'm sure some of her neighbours will invite her over. At the moment, she doesn't know her work schedule for the rest of that week, but her store after Christmas is bound to be crazy busy and will keep her mind off being all alone. For our school teacher daughter in Corpus, the story is slightly different because we can't just pop down and see her the weekend before. Our oldest was going to make a special trip down there to buy and decorate a tree for her apartment. Her blue-eyed dad and I glued hangers on chocolates for the tree and filled a stocking with all her favourites, and I baked her two batches of shortbread. I didn't take any of her favourite lemon curd because she only likes it warm off the wooden spoon. Because of our filmmaker's job, though, he had to work all night and was headed down to Corpus without any sleep when reason hit him instead of a car. And he called to say he was going home to bed. Good idea, I thought. He FedExed the goodies, and together they bought a tree over their iPhones. The wonder of technology. We may find a couple of days to visit, but she understands and was all for her brother's safety. How sensible do our children get as they mature? Thank you, Lord. I'm glad we saw her at Thanksgiving, and at least I know she has something to brighten up her little flat and gifts to open on Christmas morning when she wakes up to Skype us. She's been invited to a couple of places and plans to go to Christmas Eve Mass with a friend. And she works the next day, so unlike England, only one day to get through without family. My final contributor is someone who spoke to us on September the 21st about taking time for ourselves as homeschoolers. How relevant is that during this frantic season? Danielle Evans, who describes herself as a woman on a journey towards intentional and meaningful living, is a pastor's wife, and together she and her husband homeschool their five children in central Pennsylvania. She's the author of Honoring the Rhythm of Rest, and here's her Christmas message. Hello, listeners. I'm Danielle Evans from DomesticSerenity.org, and I'm really delighted to join you today. 
Our family is enjoying the holidays and there's a lot of excitement in the air right about now. It's truly one of our favorite celebrations. The Christmas season is just such a special time. Before sharing along those lines, just a little bit about us. Really, I'm just a mom and a woman like so many of you. I'm doing my best to live life intentionally. And by that, I mean just according to my priorities and my purposes, hoping to have lots of fun and laughter along the way. My husband and I live in central Pennsylvania and have five children, four are still at home, and we also enjoy one rambunctious little grandson who's two years old. Homeschooling has been our family lifestyle for about 10 years, so being together is a big part of who we are as a family. I write about a little bit of all of that on my blog, domesticserenity.org, and you're welcome to visit anytime. I'd love your company. Today, I'd like to begin by sharing with you a story. When I taught preschool for ages four and five years old many years ago, a little boy in my classroom was completing a floor puzzle with me. It was about the Christmas season, and the floor puzzle was of a manger scene. So it had Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, a clean stable, some calm animals. It was all perfect for children. We were working together side by side, placing the pieces here and there, when suddenly he yelled out, Ooh! Why did they put that baby in the hay around those animals? Ooh, ooh. And he just kept saying that over and over. I think he was just completely shocked that this would happen to a baby. But you see, he knew this little boy in particular lived on a farm and had just become a big brother. So he knew and understood that this was no place for a newborn, being outdoors where the animals live. But this experience with this little boy, though it happened many years ago, has really impacted me greatly. Because while I had honored the story of Jesus' coming, which is so central to my faith, I had simply lost the awe of the season, the awe of seeing with fresh eyes what Jesus had done in coming to earth. I believe that we're all created with um, an internal need to adore something or to adore someone, to really just stand in wonder or even surprise at something. I think this is what draws us to Christ. And Jesus coming to earth was an awe-filled event. It was really huge. Christmas, um, though we know it's not exactly when Christ was born, is a time to focus on giving. It's a time for receiving. Christmas invites me to come close and to remember his story, Christ's story, and to focus on my need for a Savior. So if I could capture it in one sentence, I'd say for me, Christmas is a season of adoration and celebration. And speaking of celebration, I like to think of the Christmas season as a time to bless instead of stress our family. Um, all celebrating requires time. It requires planning and thought. But um, for us to have a meaningful holiday, I want it to be a blessing and not something that stresses us out. I think celebrating is a part of who we are as Christians, that if we scan scripture, we'll see that God is really big on traditions. All throughout the Old Testament, he gives us numerous instructions for his people to celebrate feasts and days of celebration for all different kinds of things. So I think when we place um, effort in celebrating a holiday or particular event, that this really pleases the Lord. I like to think of Christmas as um, having simplicity with depth. I would like it to be a meaningful season, but not really an overburdensome season. And I've done that in the past where it's just been something that's just way too much or way too heavy for our family. So I really try to be aware of that. We always begin by coming together as a family. My husband and I usually have talked some, and then we like to ask for the children's input on what kind of activities and things they would like to do. We always have any more ideas than we can actually accomplish, but that's okay because we're just dreaming and thinking out loud and having an opportunity for everyone to be heard. Um, we focus mainly on Advent uh, plans because it's such a wonderful season of expectation. I think of the family, definitely, but I also think of myself personally as well, because I want to grow each year in this adoration of Christ. So for the last few years, and I think for this year, I'm going to set aside a few moments of each day and read from an Advent and Christmas devotional titled Watch for the Light. It's a really small but meaningful book. It has lots of short readings from different Christian authors. I haven't grown tired of it yet because there's just a lot to think on and ponder in there. Maybe you've heard me talk about this before, just taking a daily pause, uh, 10 to 20 minutes of each day to rest from work before moving on. But during the month of December, help me focus on this adoration of Jesus um, during this season. I'm going to take that devotional, the Watch for the Light, and my daily pause time just for this. 
For me, uh, I find that quietness and stillness are my favorite ways to think of the meaning of Christmas. I have to say, though, for my family and for my children as a whole, it's probably a little bit noisier celebration. I think they like a little bit more activity and and things than I would. But we do short devotionals. We uh, follow a traditional Advent calendar where we take time for little activities or gifts of service, um, giving and sharing with others. We do cookie baking and candy making and, and all of the different kinds of things. But um, reading aloud and great literature is very important to our family. So we found that using storybooks that have Advent adventures in them, there are many of those on the market, but one that we really enjoy is called Jotham's Journey Trilogy. And this year we'll be reading the Jotham's Journey book one again as a family in the evenings. So just a short reading each night for the 24 days leading up till Christmas. I really enjoy celebrating Christmas. I don't think there's any one way to do it or any one way to celebrate it. Every year our family changes, and I'm sure yours does too. And so we often just adjust the changes to what seems to fit best for that year. But I'd like to leave you with one thought today. Celebrating and adoring our Savior is really primarily a personal experience. But I also believe it's a community experience as well. And by that I mean I've been really struck this year that celebrating the birth of our Savior, um, even his story, was steeped in community. It wasn't just about Joseph and Mary, though um, sometimes I wonder if Mary would have probably enjoyed a little bit more privacy in the whole situation, but um, I know I would have. But there were also shepherds who came to celebrate, and later on there were wise men. Others joined in the adoration of the king. There was community of people to celebrate together. So in all of our planning for Christmas this year, in our family's planning, and I encourage your family as well, to just remember to celebrate within community. It is important to think of our family, but not only of our family. Just how can we celebrate with others? Maybe it's a group of friends, extended family, or maybe this year we'll reach out to someone we don't know as well and extend ourselves to bring someone new into our circles. Because I think this too is an important part of our faith. It's an important part of the focus of Christmas, of giving and receiving. So I encourage you to think and be intentional about adoring and celebrating Christ personally with your family and with others as well. I'm Danielle Evans of Domestic Serenity, and I so enjoy being with you today. Enjoy a very Merry Christmas. Christmas is primarily a personal and a community experience. How true is that? Our community experience this year is going to be a charity my cowboy found and research called CharityWater.org. He was attracted to it because the founder served for two years on the Mercy Ship Anastasia. Our daughter served on the Africa Mercy, so we have a vested interest in all things Mercy. And that story is going to have to wait until next week, as I am running out of time. Many of our personal memories have become traditions, which will grace some of our children's homes when they have their own families, as we heard last year. My Texan and I printed up the family photo our son had taken at Thanksgiving and made the changes that we asked him to make. And we added the Bible verse. We pasted them onto metallic paper and mailed them across the world to family and friends far away and hand-delivered those who were near to us. I made more shortbread and lemon curd, uh, remembering my children helping me when they got their hands all floury and their little faces sticky. We put up the tree and we said prayers around our Advent wreath, and I glued more hangers on more chocolates for the tree, simply because the children and the children within us will expect to find a Snickers or a York Mint just waiting to be grabbed and eaten. We'll host my reading and writing group for a Mexican meal with their husbands. Gone are the Advent calendars. Gone also is the reading of the Christmas mystery. But ever-present, though, is the creche, the tree, and the gift of the child Jesus. And it's time for me to go. And I want to leave you with a final thought from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. If my children wake up on Christmas morning and have someone to thank for putting candy in their stocking, have I no one to thank? for putting two feet in mine. Have a Merry Christmas. Remember why we celebrate. Hug those you love and talk to them and make memories. I'll be here, same time, same place next week on Toginet Radio. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guests and contributors, Robert Velarde, Gretchen Rowe, Sandy Fowler, and Daniel Evans. I loved your pieces. Thanks, too, to my faithful listeners. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness 
and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. And Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.